Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where I talk about all things mental health and parenting. Today, I am so excited to have on Lydia Ruger, who is a writer and editor for Colorado Parent Magazine. And after many years of writing children's books on the side, she decided to release her first picture book called Victor and the Vroom. It's about a regular car with a not-so-regular engine based on her son's diagnosis of ADHD. Victor learns that, yes, his engine was built exactly the way it was supposed to be built, and also, yes, there are many things he can do to help make the most of his powerful engine. How are you, Lydia? Great, great. I'm so glad to sort of be with you here today remotely. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, let's do this. You wrote a book that is inspired by your experience with your son. Can you walk me through what that journey has been for your family? Sure. So for as long as I can remember, my son has always been a fidgeter and a chewer, and he talks a lot. He talks like all the time. Um, You know, when he's a little toddler and and preschooler, it was cute because most of the other kids were that way too. But starting in second grade, I'm seeing the other students start to mature and adjust. And I saw his fidgeting get worse. His second grade teacher told me he was eating his notebooks. Um, throughout the school day. Um, in, in third grade, his talkativeness had turned disrespectful to the teacher, and it was becoming a disruption to the class and a problem for a lot of the other students who were trying to pay attention. He was constantly interrupting, constantly just having dialogue at, all day long, and it was sometimes at inappropriate times. So around the end of third grade, uh, we didn't know what was going on, but I, I had watched him with our our friend's son, who was five, and I'm noticing that my my eight year old had a similar uh, attention span to our friend's five year old, just the way he was acting and talking, and that was a big clue to me. That's like, okay, I, I think there's something going on here. Uh, he shouldn't be acting like a five year old. Um, and so, at the end of third grade, we had him tested for ADHD through Boulder Pediatric Rehab. And one of the first things I learned from her was that ADHD isn't always the hyper kind. In my son's case, it manifests itself through talkativeness. Um, he had the inattentive kind, whether he was just trying to make the world more interesting by talking or, or whatever, we're not sure. Um, but he talked in order to kind of, you know, get through the day. Um, he wasn't bouncing off the walls. He wasn't the kind of kid who had to run 30 laps. Uh, he just talked, um, and, and the doctor told me that cl- this class clown syndrome, as she referred to it, is common in kids with ADHD. And regarding the chewing of notebooks and other things that we were seeing, she believed that was his attempt to regulate his behavior. He was trying through the talking and the chewing, but it was often inappropriate in a classroom setting. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is interesting when you describe what your son is like is that a lot of times there is some misdiagnosis between sensory integration disorder or just some sensory challenges and ADHD. Did you go through that period of time while you were trying to figure things out as well? Sure. You know, we didn't have him, we only had him tested for ADHD. If it had turned out that he did not have it, we would have gone on to looking for other answers. But in the beginning, yes, I think when he was younger, I thought, he might have sensory processing disorder. Someone had suggested that to me. 
but again, my gut was telling me that it was ADHD. So we decided to try that first and it turned out to be correct. Uh, I know there are many other things um, that different families have tested for, but for us, we didn't go farther with testing because this seemed to be the right answer for our son. So you get to the point where you decide to write a book. How did that come to be? And when you answer that question, I really also want to know how you came up with the sound that Victor's engine made. The idea for the sound specifically came from my son's need to always be talking. Um, in, in the book, the the car has a very unusual song. He says, vroom, zoom, tikka rev, rev, zikazaka. And, you know, so I wanted to come up with something that would show that not only was the car different, but he sounded different because in our case, that was specifically our experience that our, it was his voice that was showing where his ADHD was coming out. So yeah, so that's really where the sound came from. I I didn't want to just educate children and parents about the idea of having a different kind of engine. Um, I wanted it also to be a fun read, which is also why I wanted to include the sound. Because, I mean, I know there are many, many wonderful children's books um, from very qualified professionals that teach about ADHD or another condition. Um, But I I wanted this one to be one that hopefully kids would enjoy as well, which was why I wanted to include the sound of of his unusual engine. What I think we have to dive in for so that parents can maybe relate to this is that we're not, we're missing the gap right now in your story where you must have at times been frustrated. You must have at times felt impatient. You must have at times wanted to be just like, be quiet, stop talking. Um, And so I think that's the part for anybody who might be listening and maybe doesn't have a diagnosis or does have a diagnosis um, there's that piece where I don't want it to feel like, oh, well, we lovingly got this evaluation and now we understand our child and I w- wrote a wonderful children's book. You know, I think there's a sure. lot of frustration in the middle. So can you speak to that frustration and how you got through it? Yeah, there was certainly a lot of frustration, you know, both prior to being diagnosed and afterward. And I think for me, writing the book was kind of what helped my frustration. I mean, I am a writer, so I tend to process what I'm feeling that way. Um, I'm a parenting writer. So um, I, you know, I'd worked on some other articles for the magazine that I worked for that were kind of on this topic. And so I started asking, you know, my editor to give her suggestions like, hey, can I write about this? Because this is going on in my real life. So that that actually did help me through a lot of the frustration. What we're seeing the most was that teachers and caregivers that were responsible for him thought this was only a behavior issue. They thought this was only him being disobedient when he was talking out of turn and acting the way he was acting in the classroom. And I think that was probably my greatest frustration uh, that so many adults and professionals didn't understand that, no, in fact, he has difficulty controlling his impulses. While I didn't ever want it to be an excuse for rude behavior or disrespectful behavior, in fact, it's harder for him because of the way his brain is wired. And so, you know, we did have some frustration with a few teachers, a lot of emails back and forth. 
Uh, I do think we also encountered many very understanding teachers as well who were willing to work with us and who absolutely understood the differences in how brains are wired, but not all of them. There was always such a big piece of me explaining what I thought was going on. And then my hope was that I didn't sound like a parent who was making excuses for my child's bad behavior. Um, Because I do think it's both. I think, yes, there are some things that my son can work on, of course. But also, yes, it's the way his brain is wired. You know, I wanted the book to show both. And so that was my hope in, in writing the book, too, that it but it's certainly so I guess in a way that writing the book came out of frustration as well, because, you know, my son doesn't look any different from any other kid in his class. You can't see that he's going to talk a lot or be different. You, you can't see that. He, it's not a brain challenge that is visible. And that's also why I wanted to write about this car. Victor, he looks like all the other cars in his class. He, he kind of looks like a regular car. Um, but when you lift the hood, that's when you start seeing things that are a little different. And that was definitely the case with my son. So let me add in for people who are listening, there's going to be people who are listening because they're like, oh, I have a child uh, with ADHD. And there's going to be some people who are wondering, uh, there could be educators. So there's a couple of things I guess I want to add. In the beginning, you talked about that there are different kinds of ADHD. So we call them subtypes. And you can be with hyperactivity or without hyperactivity, although I think most people think of hyperactivity. You can be uh, inattentive. That can be the primary concern. And then you can be both. We call it mixed. So both inattentive and hyperactive. And I also think that some of the key features of ADHD is really there's the impulsivity. So there's that impulse control and there's hyperactivity that's optional can be, and then there's the inattentive piece. So when people are wondering, or they're looking at, you know, there's a sensory piece, like your kid, your, your son, you know, practically eating his notebook Uh, now, I don't know how many years ago you went through this, but now we would definitely be simultaneously looking at sensory issues as well. Um, They do seem to go hand in hand. And I will also say like, you know, it's a kind of a cutesy way to say the class clown syndrome. But what I find with the kids with ADHD that I work with is there's big time social skills challenges. It's really not fun to play with somebody who doesn't know how to turn their engine off or rev it down. Mm-hmm. And after a while, there's an attraction at first, right? Class clowns yeah. get a lot mm-hmm. of laughs and they're fun for a little bit until they're so wild that even their peers can't handle it or don't know how to turn it, you know, how to get out of the situation. So I imagine that your son went through some of those social challenges. Did you, were you aware of it when it was going on? And if so, how did you help him and how did you help advocate for him? You know, in his case, I would say the biggest um, issue with that was he, he would get a lot of, he was shushed and bossed by the other students in the class. And again, these other students were just trying to pay attention or they were just, uh, and he was a distraction to them. And so, you know, there were a lot of like angry car days, like when I would pick him up after school and he would be in tears. Um, But when he would talk about it, he would say, everybody just shushes me all day long, just shush, shush, shush. Everyone's just always telling me to be quiet. And, And so that was, 
the biggest, I think, frustration. Interestingly, most in his case, most of the shushing was coming from his female classmates, you know, not his closest friends that he played with on the weekends and that he wanted to spend time with. I, I guess I'm, I'm grateful that he's had a very, very kind and understanding group of male young friends. I don't feel that his friendships suffered. I think sometimes they liked watching him because he would get in trouble and they could kind of like laugh behind the scenes, which isn't good either. But I don't, in our case, he didn't lose friends. He, he did have to learn to work with a lot of the girls, or not just the girls, but the people in the class that had more obedient personalities, you know, that could focus more. He had to learn how to work with them. And the teachers were his, were his challenge. Substitute teachers were always our worst days. He would cry. If I, if I knew there was a sub, I could pretty much guarantee that he would come out crying or yelling about the injustices of the day if we had a sub. And so I did, oh, the other thing that we did do, we have a 504 plan through the school. And I asked teacher, you know, please, you know, because the teachers, I think for the most part, were trying very hard to be understanding once they knew his situation. But that was all out the window the minute we had a substitute teacher. So I asked the, the teachers, you know, can you please put that at the top of your sub plan? Can you call him out by name? I, I don't mind if he's called out by name. Say, hey, he struggles with impulsivity or he does have diagnosed ADHD. He is allowed to have, you know, something to chew on in order to focus in class. Um, he's allowed to get up and walk across the back of the room if that helps him listen because that's what we were seeing substitutes would be like, sit down, be quiet. You know, they were just trying to maintain order in the classroom and it never went well on those days. And I couldn't keep it home. If I, sometimes if I knew we were having a sub, I would try to keep him home. I do work from home. So it was a possibility to sometimes do that. But as he gets older, that becomes unrealistic also. And it's not facing the issue. You know, we can't decline life every time you have a conflict. Um, and so the teachers were actually very agreeable about, yeah, we, we can we can put that on a sub plan. And so for fourth and fifth grade, that has helped our problems with with subs. And so how old was he when he was diagnosed? He had just turned nine. It was the end of third grade. So I think that's one of the other things that I would say is that I get people coming to me to get ADHD diagnosed at like age four or five. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to highlight to parents that the general rule of thumb and what's in the DSM five when we're diagnosing kids is we don't do that until usually age seven or first grade, the earliest, because the behaviors, just like you said, that you'll see would be quite acceptable for a four, five, or even six-year-old. Um, sure, you're still going to maybe correct them and say, you know, we need to be quiet. We need to use our inside. But you're still going to do those things. You're teaching them, but you wouldn't expect that their frontal lobes would be developed enough to have that level of impulse control. I want it. I want it now. I want to blurt this out. I'm going to just do it now. There's no thought of the consequence. There's no thought of, oh, I should stop and wait and raise my hand and those things that help you control yourself. So if you're seeing, if you're hearing this conversation and you, your child is younger than seven, you can certainly 
be talking to somebody and trying to get tips and ideas on how to help them with some pro-social skills and impulse control. But anybody who gives a diagnosis younger than first grade may be doing that prematurely. And it's really not what we want to do. We want to allow kids to develop long enough. So um, it sounds like you, you know, you waited till the appropriate age whereby third grade, especially third grade is all over the country is a grade that gets a lot more rigorous with academics. And so that's a big grade. I think that's when we started to see it. Yeah. When there was a higher expectation academically that he wasn't rising to because of ADHD. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, I can't take all the credit. I, you know, I have some friends who are nurses and just, you know, adult woman friends of mine who I had talk to just informally, you know, sometimes on the sidelines of the soccer field. And I had heard wait, wait, wait a lot from different friends of mine who had either gone through it themselves and had a kid a couple years older, or in like my, my nurse friend's case, she's, she was, you know, pretty adamant also, like you're saying to telling me, just, just wait, just give it a little more time. Um, That said, I'm glad we went in when we did go in. Because now at the end of fifth grade, we've seen a great deal of progress and a great deal of maturity. And while I can't credit to one specific intervention that we've tried, when I look back, I'm like, wow, we've, we've come really far uh, with just being able to function in the classroom and independently since third grade. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a couple of things. You mentioned a 504 plan mm-hmm. and some people are not familiar with that term. So just as a, a quickie there, there are IEPs, which are individualized educational plans, uh, regulated uh, and legally bound documents on what teachers need to be doing, measuring and providing accommodations. A 504 is kind of a step down. So it's not as bound the way an IEP is, but it's great because it still provides those kids who might not meet full qualification for an IEP. It still provides them with some of the accommodations that they need to be successful in a school setting. I'm curious, what are the interventions that you tried? What's been helpful? And in your case, is there anything that hasn't been helpful? Well, in terms of interventions, when we got our diagnosis, our doctor said, your son is on the mild end of the spectrum. We don't recommend medication first. We were not opposed to medication. We were going to go by what the doctor recommended. She said she recommended occupational therapy first. And in our case, she recommended a specific kind called interactive metronome, which I had not heard of. Uh, It was this really, um, to me, it was very unusual. It was a computer program basically where my son would wear headphones and clap along to a slow beat to, I guess, get his brain to slow down to the beat that the the game was going. It, it sounded very strange. I had never heard of it. Before we know it, we're driving to Boulder twice a week for interactive metronome therapy. After that, we did music therapy, which was much easier because it was a set of headphones in the car. We would listen twice a day to this specific music that was supposed to have high and low frequency sounds that stimulated different parts of the brain. I know that's a very simple (laughs) explanation. There's much more to it than that. Um, It also sounded a little crazy, but the truth is as months went by, we started seeing progress. Things weren't so big, you know, he was adjusting to 
you know, different situations in the classroom better. Uh, so I, I can't, well, I, again, I can't say if it was one or the other, I can't say, oh, the minute we started using music therapy, it all cleared up. It did not. It was over a period of months, probably about six months before we started seeing progress. But then looking back, we're like, oh, I don't know what had happened, but we're, we're adjusting better. We're getting through the day much better. Uh, we're not talking out of turn as much. Um, and in addition to that, you know, I, I read some books on my own. I, again, talked to friends of mine who had children in similar situations. You know, we started making sure we got protein in the morning. Uh, we started taking vitamins with omega-3s in them. Again, there were just a lot of things that people were recommending and that I was hearing again and again that were an easy change. You know, I, I wasn't always so specific about our vitamins and our protein in the morning, but we started being very deliberate about those things. He takes a natural supplement called Focus Fizz in the morning. Before school, he takes another natural supplement called Calm at night, both that were recommended by friends of mine. And the combination of all of those, I think, have helped a lot. Um, I, I would say in terms of interventions that everyone suggested that did not work as well for us was everyone says, make sure he gets exercise, get exercise, get exercise, get exercise. And while I would love for him to get exercise, that was one area that we struggle and still struggle in because he's not, he, he doesn't naturally have interests in sports. And we have tried a ton of both uh, team and individual sports. It, it's just not his greatest love. Uh, none of them. So, you know, we continue to ride bikes and scooters and we say this is good for our brain, you know, and take walks. Um, but ex getting exercise regularly was one of those things I kept hearing that we haven't done well <laughs> because it's not what he naturally gravitates toward. Um, although he loves his acting class, we found a very uh, fun acting class and there's a lot of movement in the class. So basically acting is his, uh, his exercise <laughs> right now. Um, and, you know, hopefully, I, I don't know. I don't know if that will change as he gets older or not, but again, after trying so many different exercises and being frustrated after each one, one day he even said, why would I keep doing something that I'm not good at? that I'm, that I don't feel good about myself. He's like, why would I continue to do something that I don't feel good about myself? And that kind of made me sad. And it made me also shift gears and think, well, what, what does make you happy? You know, when do you feel good about yourself? And it turned out that these acting classes were one of them. And so we started just, again, being more deliberate with uh, enrolling him in these classes just to make sure that he at least gets movement with other kids. Yeah. So uh, I love some of the things that you shared about um, some of the occupational therapy strategies, some of the supplements that you had. Uh, there are a lot of different approaches. Fortunately, a lot of them are very helpful. I want to say I really enjoyed Victor in the room. I think it's a very positive spin on looking at what for, you know, some kids can be a really challenging situation. And uh, I love how you have the analogy of 
you know, ADHD can be like having a race car with bicycle brakes. So Mm -hmm. I think you do a real service to kids and to families to take a topic and make it very approachable and very positive because it is. And we know that lots of brilliant minds and entrepreneurs are also people who are or were diagnosed with ADHD. Um, There's sort of a very creative side to them. And I think you do a really good job of highlighting that. So I thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience as well as your book, Victor in the Room. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I hope that it will be fun for other parents and kids that pick it up. I think it will be. Thanks so much, Lydia. All right. Thank you.